Ladies and gentlemen, we've teased it yesterday, and now we're here sitting down with the one and the only Theo Fleury. Uh, Theo, how's the day treating you, my friend? Well, uh, we are in the middle of a blizzard <laughs> right now uh, here in Calgary, but uh, other than that, uh, yeah, things are things are going well. We, uh, we just rocked one of those yesterday, and now it is actually sunny and 12 degrees. So we got the snow, got the rain, and now it's all gone and sunny. So hopefully the same thing happens for you. And where are you guys located? Uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia. Oh, wow. Way out in Halley. Great. Yeah, out east. Great part of the country. One of my favorite places to go. You've been here yeah, before. Definitely. You've been here before, Theo, with Heart and Stroke. I, I got the honor to meet you, and uh, I hope that... Horton stroke continues when you and maybe you can come back someday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was a that, that that's a great tournament and a lot of fun and uh, yeah, it was uh, it was really good. So yeah, I always I always enjoy my time out in the Maritimes. I've been out to the Maritimes lots, speaking and uh, putting on workshops and all kinds of stuff. So always uh, always love uh, being out there. Well, we definitely can't wait to get you back out and get things back to normal. And that second voice you hear, ladies and gentlemen, obviously is my co-host. That's Jamie Anesty riding shotgun on this. Uh, Jamie, how's the day treating you, buddy? Uh, it's going It's going well. Uh, like you just mentioned, nice sunny day. All the snow's gone. And uh, we both get the honor to talk to Theo today. And it can't, be, can't go any better. Yeah, definitely. Well, Theo, we'll jump right into it. I got to ask you, I mean, during your playing time, there wasn't a Canadian division, but there is one right now. And I'm wondering what pikes your interest about it, or do you have any interest in it, or do you like the way things were before uh, COVID decided to show its ugly face around town? Well, I think, you know, for geez, almost a century, they've done it, you know, a certain way. And uh, I think every once in a while, it's kind of cool to change it up, give people a different sort of look and, uh, you know, I think the Canadian division uh, so far has been excellent. You know, it's been uh, it's been good to watch, and and uh, you know, so um, yeah, I don't know if that's going to continue or not, but uh, you know, you you get some pretty great matchups, uh, you know, almost on a nightly basis, and uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I think it's been really good so far. Well, it definitely whets the appetite for guys who like watching, you know, Montreal, Toronto or Edmonton, Calgary or, you know, Vancouver, Winnipeg, those kind of matchups there where the rivalry is already built in. I mean, it, it could get cumbersome and tiresome towards the end of the season where you've seen a team nine times. But if they were to sprinkle it in throughout the season and keep that Canadian division, I could see it going pretty well. And I could see a player like you, you know, with your skill set back in the day, fitting in well with this division, and especially with the rivalries and stuff like that guys kind of chirping and having fun I, I think you'd be right in the mix in that <laughs> yeah it would have been interesting playing the Oilers 10 times you know uh, <laughs> especially uh, especially if it was the same rivalry back when we played but uh, yeah I, I uh, there, there's there, you know Toronto Ottawa has a pretty good rivalry although Ottawa's you know rebuilding um, Toronto Montreal uh, Winnipeg, Calgary, I think will sort of reignite a new, a new uh, rivalry as well. Obviously, Edmonton, Calgary, and then uh, you know Calgary, Vancouver's had uh, a great rivalry over the years too. So the more those teams get to play against each other, you know, the more that the rivalry sort of uh, intensifies. And uh, yeah, 
but you know, even Calgary, Montreal, you know, they've played in two, yeah. two Stanley cup finals, 86 and 89. So, you know, we, we still have to play the rubber match. So <laughs> maybe this year, no, it would be this year, <laughs> maybe soon. Right. Well, you could have a Montreal Boston Stanley cup final, which would be incredible. Yeah, it would make most Leaf fans like myself cry, but you're right. It would, yeah. it would be actually, you know, original six. That would be something, especially with all the history between those two teams. Yeah, no kidding. That would be that would be interesting to see as well. So, you know, and it's a short season too, you know, so anything so can happen. Anything can happen. And, uh, you know, obviously I think the teams that got off to a, a great start, you know, give themselves a cushion. And, uh, but, uh you know, I think the biggest surprise has been Montreal, you know, the way oh, they've yeah. played. And, but, you know, when you have a guy like Carey Price as your goalie, you know, makes up for, you know, a lot of mistakes, you know, young players make, you know, the goalie's the last line of defense. And, uh, you know, if you have a great goalie, then, uh, you know, makes a huge difference. Oh, no, for sure. Well, I mean, you look at the game today and from when you played till now, I mean, for you, what is the biggest takeaway now from, you know, your time playing and the time that's happening right here now, like guys with Matthews, McDavid and all the different things they can do. But I mean, you had guys like that back in the day, but for you, what would be the difference that sticks out in your mind? Mm -hmm. Well, first I, you know, I always laugh when, you know, Connor McDavid or uh, Austin Matthews comes along and everybody's freaking out. And I, I always say, you know, when I played in the league, we had, uh, 30 to 40 of those guys playing. So, you know, um, but I, I think it's just the evolution of the game, you know, uh, guys are, uh, you know, guys are in better shape, guys take care of themselves, guys eat well. Uh, but I think the, the biggest change I see is it's a very sort of structured game. I, I really believe it's way too overcoached. You know, I can when, hear that. Yeah. When you got, you know, when you got four coaches standing on the bench and each one of them has an iPad, you know, uh, I don't know if that's, <laughs> you know, if that's the kind of game, you know, I want to be involved in. You know, I love being creative. I love being sort of individual at times. Um, and, you know, I love the physicality of our game. And, uh, um, you know, I'll, always say it, you know, I love the era that I played in, uh, you know, men were men and, uh, you know, and, uh, but, uh, but I just, I just think it's just the evolution of the game and, and how much more we know about, you know, fitness and nutrition and, uh, you know, all those things. And, uh, you know, you, you basically have a camera on you from the time you step on the ice until you, you know, you get off during shifts. And so, you know, the video stuff is enhanced and, you know, all that stuff too. So it's been, you know, I think it's just the evolution of, you know, technology, fitness, food, nutrition, all that, all that stuff that, uh, you know, I think overall the game is, is faster because there's no red line, you know? Yep. And, uh, um, and so, and what's interesting is it doesn't matter what kind of changes they make to the game. Coaches will always find a way to fuck that up. So <laughs> that's it. That's it's a Bill Belichick approach, right? Yeah. Always trying to find a way to, to game the system and shut other things down. That's creative and fun. Yeah. You talked about it a, a second ago about, you know, the men being men. 
I want to ask you, I mean, back when you played, um, you know, I've asked this question of Jamie McCown, who was a teammate of yours and a couple of other guys, you know, when you played, was there someone that I don't know chirping's a thing that goes on on the ice. Was there someone who ever got you with a chirp where you were just like, shit, I can't, I can't even say anything to that. You got me. You just got me. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I, you know, I sort of prided myself on being, you know, pretty good at trash talking. And so, uh, um, uh, I don't know if, no, I, I usually had a, a comeback where, where I was never kind of, you know, stumped. So you gotta remember, I, I, you know, I was, a, I'm, I'm pretty smart dude. And, uh, oh, yeah. you know, a lot of the guys that I was playing against weren't very smart, you know? And, uh, so, um, you know, and I, you know, I've always been a witty guy and, and, uh, not, not ever shied away from, from trash talking, but, uh, you know, there were, there were some good ones for sure. There was some guys that were, you know, pretty funny. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of times we had a few laughs out there with some of those, you know, some of those Japs. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, it makes the game a little bit more interesting. Everybody likes to peel back that curtain too. Right. I yeah. mean, uh, I know everybody, at least for myself, I know there's been a few times where someone shots up at me and I'm just like, man, I can't even say any of that. You got me. But I mean, I mean, I'm sure for you where you're on that other side where you're, you know, coming back with things, I'm sure you've gotten a couple of guys where they're just like, shit, Theo, I can't even go after you for that one. That was good. That was good, buddy. I'll see you. I'll see you next year. Yeah. I, I remember uh I remember one night Mark Savard was playing for New York and he was he was mouthing off and I said, Listen, kid, you're the only reason I said, I'm the only reason why you're in this league. So shut the hell up. Savvy, probably just like very like yeah. All right, I'm gonna do my YouTube videos, tape my stick. I'm well, John, right. John McLean was standing right beside him, and he said, "You know what? The guy's got a point there." <laughs> well, I mean, we lead into this, Jamie. You got a, a question for him about uh, the punch up there. I'll let you uh, fire that one off, buddy. Yeah, Theo, talk about the uh, punch in Pistani in uh, 1987. <laughs> I get this question every <laughs> podcast I do. <laughs> I know you do, but I, I want to, it's, it's good to hear it firsthand. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was a weird game, you know? Um, but, you know, the interesting thing about that brawl was, you know, back at home, you know, whether that was the Western League, OHL or Quebec League, you know, that, that kind of shit was happening every night you know, there was either a line brawl or a bench clearing brawl every single night we played. Right. So, uh, for us, uh, it wasn't, <clears throat> it wasn't out of the ordinary, but you know, the, the thing about that game was, um, unlike the world junior tournament now where there's a quarterfinal semifinal and final back then it was just a straight round Robin tournament team with the best record, uh, after the round robin, uh, one gold, silver, and bronze. And so <clears throat> we played the Russians in the last game of the tournament. Uh, they had an, a horrible tournament. Uh, they couldn't finish any higher than sixth, even if they beat us. And we had to win by five goals, I think it was, to, to win the gold medal. And we were well on our way to achieving that goal. And, uh, 
about halfway through the game and the game, the whole entire game was chippy. There was a lot of stick work, a lot of slashing, you know, all this stuff. And so um, Everett Sanipas, uh, who was my line mate, got into, you know, well, it started out as kind of a pillow fight. They were just kind of slapping each other, you know, with their with their gloves on. And then all of a sudden, uh, Sani hauled off and just decked this guy, right? Like, sucker punched him. And then so we kind of all went over there to see what was going on. I got, uh, I got cross-checked from behind. And then Steve Chason stepped in. And next thing you know, we got a line brawl going on. And uh, as I was, you know, fighting my guy, I looked up and here both benches are coming at us. There's a fucking yard sale on the ice, gloves, sticks, helmets <laughs> flying everywhere. And, uh, and so we, we brawled for about 45 minutes. Uh, the refs lost control. So they turned off the lights, ran off the ice. And, you know, we kept fighting and, you know, eventually... I think out of pure exhaustion, <laughs> that's the only way the brawl stopped because everybody was tired. And uh, so we kind of cleaned up the ice and went into the dressing room where we're waiting to, you know, go back out and finish the game. And uh, Dennis McDonald, who was the uh, president of Hockey Canada at that time, came in the dressing room and basically said, boys, get your gear off. Uh, they We've been kicked out of the tournament. We've been disqualified and you know, away we went, but, uh, um, but I, I think what happened the following year is the thing I'll remember the most is, uh, we went right, right back into, uh, communist Russia, uh, yep. world junior tournament was in Moscow and, uh, the, uh, the Russians had a line of Fedorov, McGillney and Burray was their number one line. And, just a bunch of no names, eh? Yeah, yeah. And uh, we we uh, we actually beat them. We beat them three two in the same rink that Paul Henderson scored the goal in nineteen seventy two. So that was kind of oh, a beauty, you know, added added on to it. And yeah, we won the World Junior the the next year in Russia. Um, and uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a huge thrill. I was the captain of uh, the junior team, so. Yeah, that's uh, an amazing memory for sure to, you know, to go back. There. And, you know, what's interesting was uh, Joe Sackick was our fourth line centerman on that team. Oh, wow. Uh, that tells you how deep you are right there. <laughs> yeah. That tells you how deep you are. Yeah. Uh, one question I want to ask you about the uh, the punch-up. Uh, you know, I heard the story that the Russians didn't really know what to do. Like no, they, they had, they had no, no idea because they, they hadn't done a line brawl and guys were coming over the bench, but they weren't fighting at first. They were more just grabbing yeah. guys. And then they started realizing, Oh, this is a Donnybrook. You, mm -hmm. you guys start throwing fists. Yeah. Like if you watch the video and you watch uh, Mike Keen. Yeah. Brawl when it started, like he hit that Russian guy 70 unanswered in the fight. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a ref would step in in a UFC fight and break that up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Push him yeah, apart. Her, her, books, he would, her, books, her books on him. Yeah. And we had we had some beauties on our team, too, that were really tough guys. Like, we had Keen, we had Brandon Shanahan, we had 
Ivan Korovo, Scott Metcalf. Like we had some, uh, Luke Richardson was on that team. Like we had some really, really tough guys. So, you know, you weren't, you weren't getting the upper hand in that, in that role. No. Yeah. That wasn't, that wasn't a skilled team. That was a, well, we'll beat you to the meat grinder as well as we'll beat you to the net. But there was no easy wins on that team. <laughs> Not at all. <coughs> uh, you, you talk about Joe Saki for a second there being the fourth line center. You got to play with him in Colorado. Uh, what was that like? I mean, you had Forsberg there, Sakic, you had, you know, Patrick Waugh in net. What was it like walking in that dressing room with those guys? I mean, obviously the <coughs> the way he carries himself and then Forsberg, but Patrick Waugh is as fiery as you are, I'm sure there were some quips back and forth between you two at practice. Yeah. Well, it was like walking into, you know, an all-star game pretty much, you know, that, that team from top to bottom was, you know, as, as good as any, well, my, might has been as good as the 89 team, but uh, um, when we won the Stanley cup in Calgary, but uh, yeah, it was an amazing uh, amazing dressing room, amazing guys, uh, talent wise, you know, we were, oh, it was unbelievable. Um, I remember my first game, we played the Oilers, uh, in, in Denver and we were down in the game. And so, uh, Bob Hartley was the coach and he put me Sackick and Forsberg on a line together. And, uh, we had the puck for two minutes in that shift and the, and the Oilers didn't even touch it. And it ended with me getting a pass from Sandus Ozelinch where I basically could have taken the puck and put it up, like put it over the goal line, took it back over the goal line, put it in my hand and throw it through it to the ref. That's how wide open I was by the end of that shift. <laughs> Everybody just dog tired. No, no breath, no air left. Yeah. Along. Like just burning. That's, yeah. that, but when you got the puck on the string, even when you watch the guys now, like when they dominate for a shift like that, you watch the D, like the players that are trying to defend them. Oh, they're yeah. done. They're gassed. <laughs> and the guys are just passing around. You see the smiles on their faces. Especially when fresh guys come off the bench and start relieving them and the play keeps going. Oh, man. The two minutes would just be hilarious because mm-hmm. their legs would be done. <laughs> that's, that's called the lactic acid shift. Oh, <laughs> hey, you don't shake that off after one shift either. No, God, it's no. a little bit to take a take back off. Yeah, uh, you, you mentioned that Calgary team, though. I mean, um, like I said, I'm a count on and, you know, we talked about the players on that squad. That was a team. I mean, you're just coming into the league, you know, and you come into that squad, you know, and you get to meet like guys like Roberts and Newman Dyke and different guys like that. What was one thing that you remember that one of them told you, you know, coming in to that squad and what did you take away and carry with you throughout your career? Because obviously there had to be something there you know, going through that squad and, and those type of players that, you know, you listen to that would be in your head and say, Hey, all right, whether it's Gary Roberts or whoever, I mean, you look at these guys now and some of them have to sage witch them and they look back and say, you know, I could have done this or could have should have said that, but did anybody say anything to you coming in and did you take anything away being a part of that squad? Well, I don't think I could have been mentored by a better group of people, you know, um, you know, you, you look at that team and, you know, I was the fourth line centerman on that team, <laughs> you know, um, Seriously. and, uh, <clears throat> but my role was pretty, pretty simple role. You know, I was expected to provide energy and provide a spark and, 
draw penalties and then, you know, I wasn't really expected to score, but, uh, you know, we would, you know, the best part was we had such a good team that, you know, every night we, uh, I was playing with, uh, uh, Timmy Hunter was my right winger. And, uh, some nights it was Brian McClellan. Some nights it was Yuri Herdina, but, uh, you know, we got to play against the other team's shitty fourth line. Right. And so, uh, we had significant more talent on our line. And so, you know, a lot of nights, uh, you know, us getting a goal or, or two during a game would go a long ways for us winning, you know, winning the games because most times, you know, the top, top two lines sort of saw off against each other. And then, you know, it was up to, you know, us guys, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was an incredible experience, you know, uh, you know, I think first and foremost, you know, uh, uh, I certainly uh, uh, wasn't projected to uh, even play one game in the National Hockey League. And so, um, you know, in my rookie season, I made the team. And then, uh, you know, and then once you get there, then you dream about winning Stanley Cups. And, and uh, you know, that sort of all happened in, you know, in my first year in the league. And so it was, it was an incredible experience. It was an amazing experience and, uh, you know, something that, uh, you know, I didn't fully appreciate at the time because I was so young when it happened. But, you know, 30-odd <clears throat> years later, you know, I realized the significance of it. I realized the, um, you know, the experience and how much I learned, uh, you know, being a part of that run that, you know, sort of carried me, um, you know, all the way through my career. And, uh, you know, like I said, you know, we had such, you know, you look at that team, you know, Joe Noondike, Joe Mullen, Al McKinnis, Gary Suter, Brad McCrimmon, Jane McCown, Rick Natchez, Rick Walmsley, Colin Patterson, Jim Poplinski, you know, it was from top to bottom, uh, you know, Tremendous amount. Of, well, Dougie Gilmore was there. You know, I forgot. I forgot him. How do you forget Dougie Gilmore? You know, but uh, you know that team from top to bottom was uh, was amazing. But I think more importantly, the quality of people uh, that we had uh, uh, was was second to none. Just a really great group of guys who really enjoyed playing together, and uh, we were super hyper-focused uh, uh, on what we wanted to accomplish and what we wanted to do. And then, uh, you know, and then obviously um, that year, the two best teams in the NHL met in the Stanley Cup Finals, which was Montreal. And so, you know, there's a lot of similarities uh, between both teams. But uh, um, I think we had, we, you know, we had just had a few more superstars than they did in our superstars uh, outperform their superstars uh, ultimately in the, you know, in the, in the final. And uh, Vernie actually outplayed Patrick Waugh in the series. And so, um, you know, that was, that went a long ways as well. And us, you know, having the success and winning. For sure. Well, before I turn it over to Jamie for a couple questions, I got one more for you here, you know, winning a Stanley cup, you know, so young in the league, you look at a guy like Tyra Sagan did the same thing with Boston, uh, came in the league, won the cup. Um, you know, for you, did that make you more hungry to want to win another one or did it satiate a need <clears throat> right off the hop and almost make it a little bit more difficult? Um, 
Well, to be honest with you, I, I think with the group that we had, we should, probably should have won one more, maybe two with the, you know, with the amount of talent that we had. But unfortunately, you know, it's the hardest trophy to win in sports for a reason. And, uh, you know, we just couldn't get out of the first round. You know, we had unbelievable regular seasons for, I don't know, five or six years after we won the Stanley Cup. And like I said, we just couldn't get out of the first round. And, uh, uh, you know, the first round is always the hardest, you know, the hardest to win. Uh, even on our run in 89, you know, we I think we finished – 40 points ahead of Vancouver in the regular season. And uh, they took us to seven games and, and uh, overtime. So, um, you know, that, that's what makes the playoffs so great is, and especially that first round is, you know, it's a clean slate and it doesn't matter where you finish in the regular season. You know, if one team, you know, sort of gets hot or you give them some, some momentum and the hardest thing to get back in a playoff series is momentum. And so, um, you know, they beat us the first game in Calgary in overtime. And then, you know, we were on our heels, uh, you know, the rest of the series. And so, um, but we managed to, to get through that. And, you know, what was interesting was we lost three games in the first round. And then the next three rounds, we only lost three games total of those three series because we swept LA. Uh, we beat Chicago four games to one. And then we beat, uh, we beat Montreal four games to two. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, that first, first series was, uh, was pretty crazy. So, but, um, yeah, winning, winning that first year, you know, was, uh, um, you know, was good and bad, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think every year at the beginning of the year, that's, that's always the goal. Um, and what happened was, you know, because we didn't have playoff success, uh, well, and, and, you know, the, the total salary of the team in 1989 uh, was $7 million. Okay. <laughs> William Nylander alone costs that now. The yeah. Leafs. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, as the salaries started to increase, you know, we were, you know, we were a small, small market team. And so, you know, uh, as soon as the salary started to escalate, you know, then we started losing, you know, we, we lost Joey Mullen right away and then Neuendijk left and McKinnis left. And so, you know, they started to dismantle the team. And uh, by, uh, you know, 1986, when Jerome showed up, uh, we were in a full rebuild. And so, uh, and then a couple of years after that, I, I finally got traded as well. And so, um, you know, that, uh, I don't think the friend, I don't think the franchise has been the same since they traded Dougie Gilmore. No, I mean, Dougie's a heart and soul kind of guy, right? I yeah. mean, look at the way he plays, especially Leaf fans got a little taste of it, not as much as Calgary, but you know exactly what it's, uh, yeah. what he's about, what he's built for. Yeah. But Dougie was kind of a, you know, under the radar kind of guy. And then he went to Toronto and became a, you know, this mega superstar. So, you know, it was a, it was a great move for Dougie for sure. Oh, bad, for sure. bad yeah. move for us, but uh <laughs> good move for, for Toronto. For, for you. And I'll ask this on uh, Jamie, I keep cutting you in. I'm sorry, buddy, but for you um was trading, getting traded something that you were interested in wanted, or did you know anything about it or did you want to stay? What was, uh, what was your thoughts on that? 
Um, well, I, you know, obviously I still live in Calgary. So Calgary has always been my favorite place to play. And I thought, you know, um, you know, I would have played my whole entire career here. But uh, like I said, we were around the time uh, that I was going into free agency. You know, the team was in big trouble financially. And, uh, you know, there was rumors that we might actually even <clears throat> move somewhere else. And, uh, and so when I sat down to sort of renegotiate, uh, you know, my free agency deal, um, you know, we just couldn't come to terms and, uh, you know, obviously, uh, uh, you get one chance at free agency and, you know, I wanted, I wanted that opportunity. And so, um, you know, thank God they traded me to Colorado, you know, cause it gave me, uh, an opportunity to be on a winning team, gave me an opportunity to win another Stanley cup, which, you know, we almost, uh, accomplished that, you know, we lost the game seven in Dal against Dallas. And then Dallas went on to beat Buffalo for their one and only Stanley Cup. So I think if we would have got by Dallas, uh, you know, I would have two Stanley Cups. But uh, and then, uh, you know, and then I and then I went to New York, you know, big, huge market team with lots of money. And, uh, you know, I couldn't turn down that kind of kind of dough. And, uh, you know, amazing experience in New York, amazing organization. Uh, I don't think as a athlete uh, you can be better treated than uh, than we were in New York. It was just an amazing place to play. And, uh, you know, Madison Square Garden is probably, you know, one of the biggest event centers in North America that you can play in. And, you know, you got to play there 41 nights every year. And, you know, it was an event and, uh, you know, loved wearing the red, white, and blue, uh, you know, of the Rangers original six team. And, uh, yeah, it was an amazing experience. Played with some really great players and uh, great people. And so, yeah, it was an amazing experience. Just quickly uh, there. Yeah. Sorry, Theo. Uh, just quickly before we let, let you go for the um, – I just wanted to touch up on your two books. I know you're playing with Firebook. has been out for quite some time now. I believe it was 2009 when it came out. Um, and then shortly after it was conversations with a rattlesnake. Um, I got to meet you – on both occasions, you, you were here with your publicist, um, Christy, Christy, I believe her name is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got the book right here. So it's Chris, Christy McClellan Day, who I got to meet with you. And um, what a treat that was. And just two things before we let you go. Just touch up on the books. Uh, for those who don't know about your two books, Playing With Fire and Conversations with a Rattlesnake. And um, one question I did want to ask, what made you realize that, you needed help um, throughout your playing career. We all know the story, and for people that don't know mm -hmm. the story, just just uh, maybe uh, refresh their or refresh their memory, or just, yeah, or just provide the story to those who don't know the story. Um, when yeah. you when you started playing hockey, um, yeah. So, you know, when I when I left the game in two thousand three, you know, like I didn't have a plan. B, C, D, E, F, G, I didn't have a plan. And uh, basically all I had was a grade 12 diploma from Vanier Collegiate in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. And I had more than half my life left to live and I had no idea what the rest of my life was going to look like. And so, you know, a chance meeting at a, you know, 
Calgary Flames alumni event uh, led to, you know, led to me writing this book. And, uh, you know, when I, when I sat down to write the book, you know, I was at the beginning, I was only going to talk about my hockey career and, uh, and uh, writing, writing the book with Kirsty, you know, I think right early on in the process, you know, I knew that, uh, that her heart was in the right place. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the words and, you know, we started filling up pages and, you know, three and a half years later, we finished the book and I tell the whole entire story uh, from start to finish about my childhood, about my sexual abuse and, you know, my drink-a-log, my drug-a-log and, you know, some hockey stories mixed in between. But, uh, um, you know, that, that process of writing that book was incredibly cathartic. But more importantly, um, it sort of catapulted me into you know, what I've been doing for the last 12 and a half years. And that's, you know, working in the field of trauma, mental health and addiction and, uh, you know, doing tons of speaking engagements, uh, doing all kinds of workshops um, with people who've experienced trauma in their life. And, uh, you know, I've really sort of, you know, found the, the true purpose for my life. And, and uh, you know, that, that first book, uh, Playing With Fire was a you know, was a huge catalyst and put me on this path, uh, being an advocate and an activist, uh, you know, around the subject of trauma, mental health and addiction. And, uh, you know, obviously with COVID here, um, you know, for almost a year now, um, we're seeing spikes in opioid uh, use, uh, suicides, uh, significant mental health issues and problems. And so, yeah, uh, you know, I've I've never been more busy than I have, uh, you know, in the last, you know, probably ten months. And so, um, but it all started with writing that first book, and then, you know, running into uh, Kim Barthel, who helped uh, who helped with the second book. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been an amazing experience, and you know, I'm in the process of writing the third one right now. So uh, you know, it's, I, I I enjoy um, writing books and, uh, you know, talking about, about this subject because it, uh, in my, uh, personal belief, I believe that, uh, you know, trauma, mental health and addiction is, is the true and the real epidemic, uh, on the planet. And, uh, you know, I, I spend all day, uh, dealing with people who are, who've experienced trauma in their life and trying to help them make sense of it all and take that negative experience, uh, you know, from childhood and, uh, you know, help them turn it into something, uh, you know, of a more positive experience. Thanks, thanks well, for we're, we're lucky to, thanks to for have someone you. like yourself. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. You know, it's, uh, I would have never thought that, uh, you know, this would be my post career, but, uh, I believe it's been more impactful, um, than my actual hockey career so yeah and you've been well, a, I mean, the, the sorry Dave. You, you've been a true ins inspiration like a, a child with a teddy bear i've i've got that book very close to me um you've been on the rod peterson show as well a few times and i've i've watched those those interviews and um i mentioned this to rod he has his recovery hour each month and i mentioned to him you know theron theron flurry chris nyland and rod peterson are true inspirations and when you can find that accountability partner and someone you can trust to 
to feed off of, you you find help, right? And uh, yeah, absolutely. I I just wanted to share that. And uh, man, all three of you guys have been uh, a great inspiration. So man, I've got nothing else, James. But uh, we're gonna have you on again soon, Theo, because we we forgot to talk about the O2 Olympics and much more to talk about. So uh, thanks for sharing your story, uh, Theo. And uh, hopefully we do see you in Halifax sometime soon. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, like I said, I always love venturing out to the Maritimes.